This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Top of the hour, it is the uh, random player of the day. Stay tuned for the maiden voyage of this new uh, feature on the program. Haley Salvian from The Athletic and Hockey Central 960. A little bit better lately for the Calgary Flames, but tough one yesterday against the Chicago Blackhawks. Heroics by Max Domi in overtime. Really nice first career goal from Lucas Reichel between the legs, which really isn't a hot dog move anymore. It's just something that you do, which is the way that it should be. Uh, Tarek Al-Bashir of The Athletic as well stops by an hour or two. We'll talk about the Caps. Now that both Tom Wilson and Nicholas Backstrom uh, are back in the mix. In the meantime, uh, tonight it is game night for the Edmonton Oilers. They'll face off against the Los Angeles Kings. And the only thing that we're not wondering about when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers is, will Connor McDavid win the Hart Trophy? The answer is yes. He will also win the Art Ross. That has already been decided. Let's put that argument to bed now. Uh, joining me now is Luke Astic, former NHL player, now analyst for the NHL on Sportsnet. Uh, Luke joins me at this time. How are you today, Luke? What's the latest? Jeff Merrick, I'm good, buddy. How about you? Uh, I am well. I'm going to ask you, before we get into the Oilers stuff, here's one thing that I, I always like asking hockey players with interesting nicknames. Like, all through hockey, it was Gazzy this, Gazzy that, Gazzy, Gazzy, Gazzy. And I've never, like, I've always tried to go out of my way not to use nicknames for players that other players use. It's like, that seems to be, like, the domain of hockey players. Like, one of your teammates can call you Gazzy, but me, like, you know, Joe X, or just random media guy, can't say, hey, Gazzy. Just like I've always been uncomfortable calling Rob Ray Razors. Like, I wasn't a teammate. I never played against him. I haven't earned the right (laughs) to use that nickname for him. Do you agree with me or disagree? Because I've always felt like... It's a little uncomfortable using a hockey player's nickname that kind of maybe should just be for other hockey players. What do you think of that? No, man. Nicknames for everybody. Uh, everyone was always calling me Big Man. <laughs> everyone always say a lot of the media guys, too, they'd be like, what's up, Big I was I always remember Louis Dabrowski walk over to the stall, you know, after pregame skate, say, what's up, Big Fella? What's up, yeah. Big Man? It was never, uh, it was never Gazzy. It was always, always Big Gaz or, or Big Man. When you uh, when you played, and I swear I'm going to get to the game, but I am I'm legitimately curious about this because you're a really friendly guy. You're an outgoing dude. People like you. Which media people did you like dealing with? Like anytime I talk to anyone, it's funny. I was having this conversation with uh, with Will Acton, who's now scouting with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So Will played a little bit for the Oilers, and he's a you know, he lives like down the street from me here uh, in in Stouffville, and. He used to always say, man, Gene Principe is like the nicest man in the world. It's like he is like the nicest dude I've ever met. Who are some of the guys in the media that you always like dealing with? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot. Uh, but there were definitely uh, there were definitely some people at Edmonton that I've still kept in even in contact with. Gino is probably one of my favorite guys, not just in hockey, but in life. Uh, I got to know Gene even better doing the regionals last year. Uh, the Edmonton games on yeah. on Sportsnet, so we did a lot of hanging out and uh, just a straight down to earth uh, national treasure is what I'll call Gene Principe. And um, yep. there were a couple other good guys. Reed Wilkins is another good friend of mine. I do a biweekly radio show yeah. uh, with, with Reed called Inside Sports. He's great. Uh, so they, I mean, awesome. there was a couple guys in Edmonton that that I still even talk to to these days. Most guys are pretty nice. That's awesome. Uh, okay, so let's start with the positives. Connor McDavid will win both the Art Ross and Hart Trophy. That's already been decided, right, Luke? I the way you put it, I, it's. I mean, there is no question. I just when you said it, I was like, yeah, you know what? That sounds right, actually. <laughs> the, I'll tell you what. I feel bad for players like Tage Thompson. Because, like, any other year, we'd be looking at Tage Thompson and go, like, wow, we have, like, a Hart Trophy winner here that's come out of, I don't want to say nowhere, but, like, wow, we've seen the rise of a new superstar. But it seems as if Connor McDavid went into this season, Luke, and said, I'm going to remind people who the best still is. And he's gone about just destroying the, destroying the NHL world. I know, and I don't think it's just Tage. It's the entire NHL. It's like if he sees something, it's like anything you could do, I could do better. Uh, you know, just dominating the uh, the highlight train. But I, you know what? I have to be careful with the Sabres, so Jeff. I put out this 
these power rankings on Saturday that I, I tweeted out kind of uh, <laughs> a list of where everyone was at in the league. And I didn't know Sabres Twitter yep. came in packs. And I put the Sabres in a category <laughs> called great effort, just not your year. And I am yeah. getting swarmed by Sabres Twitter. So That's I got to okay. be careful what I say about That's the Sabres cool. these days. That is no, you don't, because that's totally fine. Like I think a lot of that too is well. First of all, Buffalo Buffalo Sabers have great. This is the one thing that I've always pointed out. Buffalo Sabers have always had great support, not just their team, but I'm always interested in teams that, or sorry, fan bases that don't just follow their own team, but follow the NHL. And, you know, for the longest time, when you would look at ratings that would come in for, you know, Winter Classic games or national games, like it would always be the two teams that were involved, right? Like, let's say there's a Sunday afternoon national game and it was the Blackhawks against the Detroit Red Wings, for example. You know, the uh, viewership predominantly, number one would be from Chicago, number two would be from Detroit. And then always, like no matter who you had, no matter what the matchup was, number three was always Buffalo. (laughs) <laughs> it is a remarkable fan base that doesn't just follow the Sabres, but they follow all the NHL as well. And that's unique because you know how, you know how territorial and, and regional hockey can be. Like I've talked to plenty of like, I'm a Flyers fan, I don't really follow the rest of the league. Or I'm a Kings fan, I don't follow the rest of the league. Buffalo Sabres fans, like, you're right, like they, they come at you in packs and they also follow the entire NHL. And you know what I think that is uh, a big part of as well, Luke? I think that that reaction is probably just this is a fan base that's been beaten down for a number of years, and finally, whether it's the team, whether it's um, you know, whether it's Thompson, whether it's Dalene, whether it's how well Lukanen's played, they finally have something to cheer about, man. Like they really I know, do. and I do they love really the good, hardworking people at Buffalo. My dad was a Buffalo Sabres draft pick in 1978. Um, I'm a huge Bills guy, so I do love the good uh, blue-collar, hard-working people of Buffalo, New York. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, so what can you? What? Okay, so you're you're Ken Holland now. Okay, so every team is, you know, having both their their pro and amateur uh, scouting meetings right now, and you're looking uh, to trade deadline. And I know everyone's looking for a left shot D on this this Oilers squad right now. When when you look at Edmonton though, Luke, you've covered all of their games. Uh, what do you think they need? Like what what area needs massaging? I mean, I think the two most glaring holes right now and not even calling them holes is uh, obviously a hopefully a left-handed shot defender like just a big you know to to, you know take some of those minutes off nursey um i think they need somebody who can shut down there on the back end and provide them some offense that's not going to be easy to come by Mm -hmm. um i think everyone's everyone's aware of that um on, on the uh, front end, they just need help. Uh, I, I, this is up to Ken Holland and, and, you know, good general managers will find some, you know, some diamonds in the rough and and pull guys, you know, maybe depth guys out of conference that uh, that maybe aren't aren't going to make the playoffs. You got to start looking here now because I, I in saying that I I think what you said about Connor, it's like he can't do it all himself. But some nights I watch it and I'm like, oh my god, this, yeah, he actually can do it all himself. But we yeah. don't want to get into a situation yeah. like, you know, LeBron. On, I think of LeBron on the Cavs that, you know, when he came back from 3-1 against Golden State, he just kind of put the team on his back. But he can do that on any given night. I just think he needs a little help up front as well. Well, uh, Edmonton's going to be one of those fascinating squads. And, um, like, I think at this point we should be probably talking about Stanley Cup with the Edmonton Oilers and with Connor and with Leon like they have like these two like just absolute nuclear bombs like it must be just such a delight uh as a um as a uh, as a head coach to be able to detonate pretty much whenever you want like to me one of the scariest things is Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl on a two-on-one like we talk about moments that are automatic in the NHL Luke when you see McDavid and Draisaitl on a two-on-one in overtime, do you even bother watching what happens, or do you just turn the TV off because you know? <laughs> no, that's game over, buddy. That is game over right there. <laughs> no, but you got to think they're in contention uh, every year, right? I mean, it's it, it will. You do. There's a short, yeah. there's a short window. I mean, there's a pretty short window here, right? And. Uh, they got to maximize the value, and I think you can see it in Connor's play, right? He he wants to get this thing done. 
Um, and I think one thing that Jay has figured out too is is matchups, and they're they're going with this eleven forwards and seven D, right? And argue yeah. argue about it for the good or bad if you want. But I watched the game, and he can roll Connor out against the first line, and then he can get that matchup against you know the fourth. He's playing him every third shift, and it's going to be interesting down the line here to see how much he can go through because he's going to be he's going to be carrying a lot on his shoulders through the dog days of February and March here. So tonight we're watching the Oilers face off against the Los Angeles Kings, and we think back to that playoff series last year, which was excellent, by the way. That was just the, the, the tremendous, and what a performance by Leon Draisaitl. I mean, he was great throughout the entire playoffs. Um, after the playing injury, on one leg too, right? Through an Achilles. Well, it's like he became the world's best stationary player. Like he was better not being able to move than like three quarters of the NHL. It was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. And you watch the guy come to the bench and he's in absolute agony. And you're like, okay, he's not going back out there. And then he does. And like, to me, this is like, I don't know that we spend enough. I'll be honest with you, Luke. I don't think we spend enough time remarking on how much, how great a performance that was by Dreisaitl. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had an injury like that, similar to that or that injury. I'm sure you've had teammates that have. It's agony to even try to like you know walk from the 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 room to the bus let alone play 60 minutes of a hockey game i i don't know I how know. leon Dreiss. i mean he just must be like the toughest guy in the world to be able to to play like that but but nonetheless like we've seen big moments between these two teams in the playoffs regular season and well we think of you know edler hitting uh hitting connor mcdavid like how much like honestly, like how much vinegar is in this game tonight? We always talk about hockey hatred, and these two teams don't get along. What's it like between Edmonton and LA right now? I mean, there's more rivalry there than I think uh, than I think meets the eye. Um, it's a team that they're very familiar with, especially even in coaching. Tom McClellan uh, left Edmonton, didn't leave Edmonton, but uh, ended up in LA after Edmonton. Certainly coached a number of those players. You have. Uh, you have your Lemuse there that like to stir the pot. And um, at the end of the day, it's a team that they're chasing too, right? Uh, not just physically, but, you know, numerically in the standings, they want to they wanna pull closer. And LA's a team I've continually expected to drop off, but they're well coached and they play hard. And I, I want to see this get a little chippier tonight. I just don't know. I shouldn't be saying this out loud, but it's yeah. at ten thirty, Jeff. It's past my bedtime, so I'm gonna have to. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to stay awake for that one. But uh, it should be a good match tonight. Anytime they go into Staples, there's always a little extra. I don't know why, but anytime we went in there, there I don't know yeah. the glitz and glamour of LA, but it, it should be a good match tonight. Yeah, what did you like about it? I'm always curious which which players loved loved certain ranks. What did you like about LA? LA is just cool. They have like uh, the the LA Live. Um, kind of area yeah. down there, a arena district, and it's just a really nice hotel. And uh, you know, I'm kind of uh, I, I get uh, starry eyed a little bit. So you see the celebs there too, when you know, when Will Ferrell and Bieber and these guys yeah. are watching your games, and just all the banners and in, in the rafters, all the Lakers stuff, and it, it's just a like a really cool thing to walk into. You know, as a kid from from Toronto, that. Uh, you know, I just wanted to play in the National Hockey League, you know, walking over and, and walking into a, you know, I don't know, it's a Staples Center anymore, but it's just a pretty cool, you know, not as cool as MSG for me, but it's a cool atmosphere to walk into. Mm-hmm. You know, I always see when these two teams meet up, um, I always think of the same thing. I think of Wayne Gretzky. You know, if it's not for, you know, the Gretzky trade specifically, you know, what happens with this Los Angeles Kings team, what happens to hockey in California, <laughs> And you think of the WHA, you know, uh, being uh, those four WHA teams being absorbed into the NHL. Wayne Gretzky's, you know, not subject to the draft. He becomes an oiler. And that market with some very shrewd drafting and developing and trading. I don't want to shortchange the Oilers on that. But this whole thing was revolved around Wayne Gretzky. And you look at, you know, what, what Wayne Gretzky has left in his wake. And every, every time I see the Oilers and the Los Angeles Kings, I just say the same thing. These are two teams that Gretzky made. I know they were there before Gretzky, but Gretzky, you know what I'm saying, Luke? Like, he made both of these teams. And we're still seeing oh, the effects to this day. I got to tell you, I, I think of Marty McSorley a little bit, too, in those Kings uniforms as well when, when Gretter's nice. playing back there. But I also know from firsthand, I, I spent two years playing hockey in Southern California uh, with the San Diego Gulls and seeing the impact that hockey yep. has there. It's become 
a family, you know, sport now there where, you know, families are putting their kids in hockey and there's ranks and there's programs and development and schools for, for kids that want to play hockey in warmer climates year round. And it's just a really cool thing to see the way that, that he's, you know, led that path down there because hockey is alive and well yeah. in California. And it's, it's all thanks to, to, to going back to Wayne for sure. Uh, I, I do want to ask you a couple of things off the Oilers page. And tonight, is, as uh, you mentioned, Luke, 10.30 Eastern, it's the Los Angeles Kings and the Edmonton Oilers watching on Sportsnet West. Um, I'm curious about one of your old teammates who just celebrated a pretty substantial milestone, uh, 1,000 games. I had him on the radio show last week, and that is Sam Gagne. And I have so many thoughts about him. Watched him play minor hockey uh, with the Marlboros. Watched him play junior hockey with the, the London Knights. Sixth overall draft pick. I remember he was the shootout master. Uh, for the longest time as well, the eight points against the Chicago Blackhawks. When I say Sam Gagne's name, Luke, what comes to your mind? Uh, class. I think class is the first adjective I think of. But you know what? When you say his name, it's like what you said. I don't know where to start with Sam. It's well, hands down one of the best, not only people, um, but player and just personalities that I've been around in the game. I don't know how much you've hung out with him yeah. or had him on the, uh, on the radio, but oh, the, yeah. guy, oh, I know the guy has I the best stories in the, in the league, like hands down the best stories, just because he came into the league at yeah. such a good time and he played with all like these, you know, all, all the old Wiley vets and his dad was in hockey. So he's got all these great stories and his ability to tell them just captivates the room. There was not a better guy to be yeah. sitting around on a plane with after a game and, and have start telling stories than Sam, but he, you know, he brings the same atmosphere, same attitude um, to the rink every day. And he has for, for over, you know, over a decade now, it's, it's a guy that is easily one of the most connected and well-liked players in hockey. And there's a reason for it. He's got great couple kids and a family now, and um, still one of the guys I talk to on a weekly basis. And he just can't say enough good things about the guy. You're right. I played against him. He played for the Marlies, that, that 89 Marlies team that I had to, we actually yep. played them in the playoffs. In my image, we played them in the playoffs <laughs> with the North York Rangers. Uh, and uh, we yeah. got spanked pretty they, good. But uh, yeah, I've known Sam for a long time. Can't good. say enough good things about him. Great squad. John Tavares on that squad. Brendan Smith was on that squad. Akeem Alou, Justin Vive, uh, Brian Cameron. Like, it was a murderer's row. Cody, Cody uh, Golubuff, I always, I, everyone always forgets, too. Golubuff on the back end. Yeah, man, that was a good team. Okay, uh, this is great. Listen, we'll be watching tonight, 1030 Eastern, as you mentioned, Los Angeles Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Luke, always a pleasure. You be well, my friend. We'll be watching this evening. Awesome, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. There is great Luke Gastic handling the affairs this evening. It is the Edmonton Oilers and the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, random hockey player of the day. We'll see how this one goes. Maiden voyage in moments. Haley Salvian, Tarek Al-Bashir. Don't go anywhere. Merrick Show Hour 2 is next. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So I just got a text from a friend of mine who says, email to jmshow at sportsnet.ca, subject player of the day, request anyone who went to University of New Hampshire to force you to talk about college hockey. I think maybe she's suggesting James Van Riemsdyk. Perhaps. Uh, welcome back to the program and welcome to Hour 2. Coming up in a couple of moments, uh, we'll talk to Tarek Al-Bashir, specifically at the bottom of the hour, specifically about the Washington Capitals and specifically about the return of Nicholas Backstrom and Tom Wilson. Caps beat the Blue Jackets one nothing yesterday, where Nicholas Backstrom said for the first time in years he was nervous about playing a game. It was his first one in a while. And considering he's coming off significant surgery, maybe we shouldn't be surprised. Haley Salvian standing by from Hockey Central 960. And The Athletic, we'll get to her here in a couple of moments. In the meantime, Matt Marchese, a new feature that I want you to tee up because you'll probably do it better than me. Um, It's the random player of the day. You want to set up how we're going to execute this thing every day? 
Yeah, so if anybody has a player that they would like us to cover, Jeff does all the work for it, so it's no skin off my back. Um, email us at <laughs> jmshow at sportsnet.ca. Uh, we've got a bunch already, so it's been really good. And our first one today is former Caps, yep. Canucks, and Stars goaltender, Braden Holtby. Yep. Braden Holtby. Okay, first of all, when I say Braden Holtby to you, Matt Marchese, what do you think of? I think of his his pregame warm-up routine during the cup run. And I remember that was like a big thing, his visualization and all that. And how can you forget? Like yeah. Braden Holtby to me screams country music. I know his mother was I believe she was a country <laughs> singer, but his beard and the flow screams yeah. country music to me. Yeah, so to the to the ritual thing too, and a lot of goaltenders, you'll see a lot of you know minor slash youth hockey goalies do this as well. A lot of goalie trainers uh, will instruct you to do this. What Holtby really popularized in a lot of ways is after a goal would go in on him, what he would do, and again, this is a visual visualization technique, is he would grab the water bottle, he would squirt it, so the water would go high up in the air, I'd give it a good squeeze, water would go high up in the air, he would watch the water go up and then watch the water go down. It was a little visualization trick, I guess, for your brain to get your mind off of the goal that just went in. Like, goalies will always tell you this. The one thing you need to do is you need to park that goal. Don't hang on to it. Oh, I misplayed this. My glove was there. Where was my stick? You know, did I have, where was my weight? Was I leaning too much this way? What they'll try to get you to do is completely forget about what just happened. And some goalies have had, uh, I mean, every goalie has a different technique for it. Some just actually leave the crease, you know, just skate off. Others have the superstition of not touching the puck behind them. You know, that's a puck that went in. I don't want to touch it. Let's let the linesman go and, and fish that out. But for Holtby, it was squirt the water bottle up in the air and watch it come down. Now, Holtby's an interesting guy. Um, and you mentioned music. So he's buddies with Dallas Green, City in Color. And after they won the Stanley Cup in 2018 with the Washington Capitals, he asked him to redo his version of The Girl, which is a great City and Color song, um, so he could play it for his wife at the Washington Capitals uh, Stanley Cup celebration at the Stanley Cup party. Now, when I hear Braden Holpe's name, I think of Corey Conacher. And I want to get to that story in a couple of seconds. It may seem weird, but that's where my brain goes. I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, Represented by the Sports Corporation, so we think of Jerry Johansson. Um, Saskatoon Blade, that's where he played junior in the Lauren Mulliken era. Um, And also his dad was a goaltender as well, Greg, a 5'9 goalie, so a little bit on the smaller side of things. He also played for the Saskatoon Blades. I always thought that was a nice bit of father and son. Dad played for the Saskatoon Blades. That would have been the team that had Wendell Clark and his cousin Joey Kosher on the squad and also Los Angeles Kings head coach Todd McClellan would have been on that team as well. And when I think of Braden Holtby, I think of the amount of netminders he had to beat out for that job in Washington. Because let's not forget, too, like once upon a time, there was like a long line of goaltenders. Like if you were like the fourth or fifth goalie in the organization, uh, good luck. It was going to take you a long time to get the number one job. There was Michael Neuvert. There was Jose Theodore. There was Simeon Varlamov. For a time, there was Thomas Vokun as well. Like, this wasn't an easy transition from junior hockey to the American Hockey League um, into the NHL for Braden Holpe. He had to climb over netminders to get there and you know became a disciple of Mitch Korn, who worked with all the Washington Capitals goaltenders and he won a Stanley Cup in 2018. Here's why I think of Corey Conacher. Maddie, you'll probably like this one, I think. So Corey Conacher, who was always one of my favorite players. I always loved Corey Conacher. So Corey Conacher playing with the Tampa Bay Lightning scores his first career NHL goal on January 19th, 2013. Tampa Bay Lightning facing off against the Washington Capitals. Uh, He gets a feed from Teddy Purcell and he scores a goal on Braden Holtby. After Corey Conacher gets a new dog, a Morky, and he names the dog Holtby because Braden Holtby surrendered the goal that was his first career NHL goal. That's why whenever you mention the name Braden Holtby, I always think of Corey Conacher and his dog, Holtby. That is the maiden voyage. 
for the random player of the day. And as Maddie mentions, if you have one, you want me to do a little research, do a little digging, uh, I strongly encourage players from the way back era of the NHL, also players now, that's fine. Uh, you can either tweet or, as we'd prefer, use the email at jmshow at sportsnet.ca and we'll get them on the air. Thanks for that first one. Uh, Haley Salvian here to talk about the Calgary Flames, not random hockey players. Haley Salvian here talking about the Calgary Flames from The Athletic and as well, Hockey Central 960. Hello, Haley. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Hmm. I'm doing good. How's, uh, how's the new year been for you so far? Uh, you know what? It's been fine. I feel like I haven't done a whole lot yet. I'm still in that mode of like, I need to get back up to speed after taking a week off. <laughs> it's the slow grind. At the <laughs> I get start that of the way season. too. Yeah. <laughs> I always do the same thing. I took a week off uh, a couple of weeks ago and said to myself, okay, I'm really going to take a week off. And then the minute you miss a couple of early games, I kind of get like that guilty feeling like, yeah. Even though I'm supposed to be off, I should really I should really be watching everything. And so yeah. I just end up like parked in front of my laptop or in front of the television or you know catching things on uh, on on my phone. So like I can't Yeah. I can't and then you really come back and you're off, not as refreshed. <laughs> yeah, and then you're not as refreshed cuz you didn't actually I, take the time off. And you're like, "Oh, <laughs> guilt does weird things to us, Haley Salvian. Guilt does weird yeah. things to us. Here's here's one for you. I've always wanted, I was talking to Lance Kennedy about this before the show. Lance uh, plays the keyboards behind me here, the uh, the the board op. So mm-hmm. I was asking Lance because Lance has just come back. He was off himself, and I said, "At what point, like, do you have a cutoff day where you stop saying Happy New Year?" For <laughs> me, it's the seventh because I figure one week is enough. And here we are on the night as we have this conversation. At at what point does Happy New Year start to sound uncomfortable for you? I it's not really something that I ever say either, like at all. I should say, like, and maybe that makes me you never do rude. But that's not. I don't see somebody <laughs> and go like, "Hey, Happy New Year." It's just kind of like, "Hey, what's up?" So maybe I'm just rude, but I don't. I don't have a cutoff yeah. because I just don't say it. I'll say it on You're New Year's, like happy. Selling. It's midnight, Happy New Year, and that's yeah. it. If I'm with you on so New Year's, then like... you'll get a Happy New Year. If not, yeah, it's not coming from me. <laughs> Otherwise, just SOL, move along. Let's just go on with our day. Well, you're a bad person. Like, yeah, we've known this for whatever. a long time, Haley. Yeah, when it's it comes true. right down to it, you're a very, very bad person. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so, <laughs> listen, I'll tell you, man, that was a tough loss for the Calgary Flames yesterday. Like, I'm just watching yeah. this as a neutral observer. And, well, the first thing, before we get to the actual game itself, sign me up all day. If the Chicago Blackhawks want to wear those jerseys from now until forever, sign me up for those. I thought those looked awesome. <laughs> Your thoughts on what we saw from the Blackhawks yesterday? <laughs> they look better in the game than they did when I just saw the jersey when all the reverse retros came out. Like, I, the the Red Wings yep. and the Blackhawks with the stripes, I was not into it when I first saw them. I was like, both of these mm-hmm. are not good. I don't like them. They're not aesthetically pleasing. I still don't like the Red Wings ones. There's too many stripes. But the, the Chicago ones mm-hmm. look better on the ice when you're watching the game. They've got the full kit on. I felt that way about the Winter Classic kits, too. I did not like them when I saw the jerseys. The Pitts, I was like, the Pittsburgh P, it was like, that's lame. We just got another bear. Uh, but then I saw them I saw them on the ice, and I was like, okay, yeah, this makes, this makes a lot of sense. So they were fine. I like them. They're still not my favorite of the reverse retros, yeah. though. Which are I, I love the Minnesota, I love San Jose, but that's just because I go back with the uh, the California Seals. Actually, over my right shoulder, um, if you're watching on 360 or if you're watching on Sportsnet now, I got a, I have a picture of Gilles Malosh in the old Seals gear, which I just love that you know yeah. original NHL teal, and I just love that look when when San Jose plays Vancouver and they're both wearing their retros. I think it's from a visually from a visual experience to me, it's the best looking game out there in the NHL right now, but what's your reverse retro of choice? What, what's what's doing it for you, Haley? So I like any of them that I kind of have two different ways that I go about it. I appreciate the like actual retro look and the nostalgia factor. So I really do like the, the Washington Capitals with the Screaming Eagle. I think those are great. 
I like seeing those on the ice. Cool. But I also like the ones that good. dip into the creativity and you can see the attempt from Adidas and the team to do something a little different, to lean into the unique elements. So I loved the Florida Panthers jerseys. I think it was fun leaning into the yes. fact that this is a hockey team in Florida. Like, here's a beach jersey. Uh, those are cool. Like, I could see someone wearing those and it'd be cool. I really like them. I thought the Sharks jerseys were cool. Um, I like the look of the Jets. I know they're maybe boring to some people, but I like the Winnipeg ones. The Flyers with the pants, with the Cooperalls, amazing. The Cooperalls pull it all together. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think my favorite, favorite. Oh, and I love the baby blue Canadians. I feel like that's controversial, but I like the baby blue. But I feel like I just (laughs) always end up, I have so many. I really did love a lot of them. I really like the uh, Buffalo Sabres. Loved that. Oh, the goat. <laughs> the goat head. Yeah, the I loved head. it. It was and great. They, and Buffalo, Buffalo, Buffalo can't lose when they're wearing – I think they're wearing them tonight again. Uh, they're yeah. wearing them again this evening against the Flyers. Yeah, the goat I head like is those. sweet. Yeah. Uh, ducks. I like the, I just like the Ducks. Yeah, I like all the reverse retros. You have me on. I'm just going to list all 32. Uh, but I would probably say my favorite <laughs> from this batch and the last batch yeah. were the Kings. I love the Kings uh, reverse retro look. Oh, I love no. the purple and gold. Those ones are great. They look awesome. Pur- purple and gold is awesome. There was that era there with the NHL where every team wanted – there was this wave. It wasn't just NHL. It was all of sports where everybody just wanted to go with a, a – they had to have a black look. They had mm-hmm. it because they thought it made them look mean. To me, like – this is sports, man. This is like this is like eye candy here. Like make your yeah. make everyone look different. Everyone like look at me. I'm a big tough guy. I'm, I'm wearing all black. Blech. Yeah. Give me the old uh, give me the old purple and purple and gold. The Los Angeles Kings. You okay. know what? Well, oh, by my the way, favorite. just one. Just, <laughs> okay. What's that? I had one more. I was gonna say go, you go, know what my favorite no, no. jersey is. Uh, it's not my favorite, but the jersey jersey has grown on me. <laughs> Ah. I love the Jersey jersey. It's great. <laughs> the Jersey jersey is pretty good. The the one point that I wanted to make about jerseys too while we're on this tangent is I don't like every team has in their past one look that they regret. And it's like, woof, we're never going back there. Sometimes you go back there and ironically you can pretend to like it. We look at the fish sticks jersey with the New York Islanders and we all pretend like that we liked it. Meanwhile, when it was around and you know, whether you're, you know, Kenny Onsen or whomever skating in this thing, you're like, oh, this thing is gross. But there's mm-hmm. one team that I don't think has ever had a bad look, and you referenced them a couple of seconds ago. I don't think San Jose's ever had a bad look. I don't think the Sharks okay. have ever had a bad kit. I, 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 can't, I can't think of one. Like, I can't think of one San Jose kit. They were like, oh, cringe, get rid of that one. San Jose, even though they haven't always played well, and right now is case and example, <laughs> But I don't think San Jose's ever had a bad look, Haley. I really don't. Yeah. I can't think of one era where they've looked bad. Yeah, I think if you like the colorways and you like the logo, they really haven't really done anything wrong with them. Um, I'm yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, I could get behind that one. I think the best, like, we're never going back into the well jersey while we're on this tangent is the Penguin second Winter Classic jersey from 2011. The, the cursed Penguin with the scarf jersey where Crosby got hurt in. Yeah. Although I Never I really I again. really did. I love those jerseys, but I love them. I love I see well here's what I liked. I liked um man, we are going down here. Yeah. I like the old penguins logo where the penguin actually had a pot belly like a real penguin does. Like not like the athletic, you know, roided up crossfit right. penguin. I don't want I don't want that penguin. I want like the pot belly with the scarf and the hockey stick. Like that's that's the penguin that I want. I don't want CrossFit yeah. Penguin. I want that old <laughs> 1967, 68 Potbelly Penguin. Okay. Yeah. Now that we've got all the important information out of the way. Yeah. What's next? What, what can you tell us? What can you tell us about Jonathan Huberto? How's that transition? <laughs> I mean, I feel like you can go down the list with with some stuff with the Calgary Flames and Jonathan Huberto's at the top of it in terms of you know, things that just haven't gone as we maybe thought in the preseason. I remember talking to you when, you know, before the season, it was probably one of the first times we talked for the year around training camp or in the summer Mm -hmm. and just looking at, you know, the Calgary Flames on paper should be better than last year. 
because they add Jonathan Huberto, who should be the closest approximation to Johnny Gaudreau on the left wing. You fill that hole with with an all-star, with a guy with 115 points. You got Nazem Kadri. You got better center depth. Your blue line's better. Jacob Markstrom is coming off of, you know, a Vesna finalist season and. You know, the second round of the playoffs didn't go well, but he's going to be hungry to improve off of that for sure. And I just think you can go through a lot of that, and, and things just haven't quite transitioned as most people would have expected for the Calgary Flames this season, yeah. Jonathan Huberto included. And I think maybe part of it is, I think one thing that's been a bit underrated or maybe not talked about or appreciated with Huberto is the the point production is not there. Um, from what we got used to seeing last year. This isn't a 115-point season at this point. He's not on pace for that this season. Um, and I think this is probably to be expected with some of the conversations about Huberto is, oof, like his defensive you know, work was what needs to be improved. That was kind of the thing with Huberto, right? He can make plays and he's got yeah. great vision and he's a good board, but he leaves something to be desired on the defensive side of the puck. And he has been improved in that area with the Calgary Flames as expected under Daryl Sutter. So that's one thing we can look at is, you know, are we seeing a bit more of a complete Jonathan Huberto? Um, but I think part of that conversation for me is, is that what you want? Like, I think when you see the lack of production and these questions about how Jonathan Huberto is playing this season, I mean, do we want a more complete Jonathan Huberto who's doing well on the defensive side of the puck, but isn't, you know, maybe producing as much? Like, have we leaned too far to one side in terms of, you know, yeah, you can trust him in, in more situations than maybe last year, but he's also not, you know, second or tied for mm -hmm. second in league scoring with 115 points. So I think that's been a bit of an interesting thought that I've had on him this season. I also think part of it is, you know, he's not playing on the top line this season. I mean, he wasn't on the top line in Florida last year. Um, but, you know, no. he's he's been moving up and down the lineup. He's had a number of different um, centers or wingers on his other side. Um, so there hasn't really been that, that smooth transition with the line mates we maybe would have expected for Huberto. I still am not ready to, you know, write off the team or write off the players that they acquired. But I do think it's interesting to yeah. look. When I look at the trade, you look at this blockbuster and you revisit it. Um, the Florida Panthers are... Like, at what point do we say that the Florida Panthers are, you know, just throw in the towel for the season? I don't think that they will at this point. But, I mean, the Florida Panthers they aren't can't. doing well. No, they can't. They don't have a first-round draft pick. I mean, that's Montreal. It's, but Florida's not working out. Un, Columbus un, is not working out. And the yeah. Flames are not as good as we expected. They're still in the wild card race. They're still in the playoffs. But you revisit that deal and all three teams have taken a step back from where they were last year. And I think it's very interesting. Yep. I think at the end of the day, it just it's not the sexy answer. It's not the answer fans want to hear. They're probably sick of hearing it. It's just this is an example mm -hmm. of sometimes these trades and these massive moves for players and people take some time for them to adjust. And the Flames had so many changes in the offseason that it's just taking a bit longer for everyone to, to start clicking all at the same time and, and have everything, you know, moving in the right direction. Um, maybe there's something more to it that, that we're missing, but for right now it just kind of seems like the transition is taking longer than people would have liked. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised. Like anytime you take two thirds of the best line in hockey away from a team, it's gonna yeah. take a while, even if you even if you bring in big names to try to to try to plug the holes. Like whether it's you know Mackenzie Weger on the back end, you mentioned Jonathan Huberto up front. Like all of it is gonna take a little bit of time. And I think that you know if you if if you're a fan, you certainly expected more. And I think you, I think you're curious about what you have inside the organization. You know, Elliot and I were talking about this in the first hour. Matthew Phillips gets called up. You know, not much of a, not really much of an opportunity for Phillips. No. Um, Jacob Pelleche called up right now. I mean, last year ripping up the American Hockey League. This year ripping up the American Hockey League with the Wranglers. I think one of the things that we all wonder about because, listen, um, you know, Daryl Sutter isn't from the old school. He's from the school they burned down to build the old school. Is there going to be much of a chance here for Jacob Pelche? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I've 
the thing that I learned in my time in Calgary is to not try to predict what uh, Daryl Sutter is going to do. Um, but at the same time, we know, you know, we know what happened with Matthew Phillips, and we know that these young players aren't just going to be thrown into, you know, a first-line opportunity and given 20 minutes a game. They're going to have to show what they can do in practice. They're going to have to show the right details. And Daryl Sutter is going to be looking for very specific things uh, within the role that he's giving these players. I think Jacob Peltier is kind of, in terms of the players in the American Hockey League, he's probably their their best prospect. Um, we're not looking at a Matthew Coronado, who's still at Harvard, who would probably challenge yeah. for the, the number one spot in that prospect pool right now. But I think Jacob Peltier is a great player. He's another smaller forward. He is bigger than Matthew Phillips, at least. Um, and he's you know, putting up good numbers in the American Hockey League. I'm curious to see where he ends up playing. I know there's a lot of fans who haven't loved the Milan Lucic top six experiment, even though Lucic has looked fine, um, you know, relatively speaking to, to how Lucic maybe looked at the beginning of the season when he was, you know, starting off pretty slow. I think Peltier in the top six makes a lot of sense to me. Will he get that opportunity? I have no idea. Um, what interests me with the call-up of Peltier is, is there another injury uh, that we haven't seen? I know Brett Ritchie's been out. Um, is there another injury that's going to come down the pipeline that we haven't heard about yet? Um, or is this the Flames, you know, is this Bradtree living saying, like, let's get a couple guys in to see if we have the answer for the hole in our top six internally before we get to the point of the deadline where we have to start looking at, what guys can we afford in terms of our cap space and what can we afford in terms of the assets moving out? Um, so giving Jacob Peltier or Matthew Phillips, whoever it may be from the, from the American hockey league an opportunity with the big club is just saying like, let's evaluate what we have. And again, I think we can all agree that the flames are missing, you know, a, a fast of foot, you know, speedy top six winger who can put up points. And this is like, okay, do we have this in our organization right now? Like they're looking at the depth chart mm -hmm. right now. And, and where does Matt, where does Jacob Pelletier slot into that? Can he win a spot in the top six? Is this just an injury thing? Uh, I don't know if we, we know that answer yet. And we'll, maybe we'll find out when the Flames play the Blues tomorrow if he gets into the lineup. But again, we saw Matthew Phillips didn't get a big run, but Redeems the Horn has got a decent run. Yeah. Adam Brzezicka has been playing, you know, more, but that's in a bottom six opportunity. He's moved up and down the lineup, but it took Adam Rizicka a while to actually yep. grab this spot too. He got called up and sent down a bunch of times over the last couple of years. So I am a big fan of Jacob Peltier and his game. So I'll be really curious to see if he can get what I think should be a top six opportunity. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned Rizicka because so Saturday on Hockey Night, I uh, along with Steve Fallon uh, from Sportsnet Stats put together um, put together a board. I didn't have a lot of time to talk about it because that segment is is so quick on, in the second intermission. Um, right. But essentially, and this 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 disqualifies anybody who's on their first contract. Okay, so not like entry level players, not players that are on like their first one year deal. Uh, this is all like more established NHLers here, um, and mm -hmm. this is essentially the value board. So how much does each point cost that team? Um, this is, you know, a uh, dollar per point for the season. Number one, because he's not on the new deal yet. He's still on the old deal was Tage Thompson. And then it's like Michael Bunting and Gabe Velarde and Eric uh, Gustafson, Daniel Sprong, etc. And number seven is, this is again, going into Saturday. So it's a little bit changed now. Um, number seven was Adam Brzezicka who each point cost the Calgary Flames at this point $38,125. Like, that is real value that this player has given the Calgary Flames. I mean, listen, everything's going to change with Thompson next year when the, the big ticket kicks in, which will still be a bargain, by the way, but still. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have a thought on how Adam Rzichka's season has gone? Because it's kind of been up. And down, it's like a bunny hop, you know, a couple of forward and a couple of back and one forward and two back. How do you, how would you, how would you discuss Adam Rzichka's season with the Calgary Flames? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the bunny hop's interesting because I think if you go back and I had conversations with like prospect evaluators about Rzichka in years previous, and this would kind of line up with how Daryl Sutter would kind of talk about him last year when people were wondering, is he going to get more of a shot? Is he going to move up the lineup? Is he going to get out of the press box? 
whatever it may be. And I think the the, the thing with Rizichka has been that everyone can see that he has the tools. He's a big center. He can score. He can make plays. You know, he's got the physicality and the skill set uh, and the speed. He's got a great toolkit. Um, but the I guess the question with Rizichka is, like, when is he going to put that all together to make the transition full-time and do it on a consistent basis as an everyday NHLer? That's kind of been the big question, and it's not a unique thing. We see prospects all the time with an elite toolkit and making the jump to the NHL full-time within the space or within the hole in the lineup. You know, that's kind of what we're waiting for, and I think that's been – you know, the question around Adam Rzichka, and I think we're starting to see that this year. He's putting that all together to be an everyday NHL player with the Flames. I think he's he's looked good this season. Um, I know he had, mm-hmm. you know, a top – he had a top-line opportunity. He was playing with uh, Lindholm and Toffoli, and I thought he fit in really well. I would say that Dylan Dubé is, you know, I don't – like, why didn't we think of this sooner? Dylan Dubé looks great with them. This is what we should have been doing all along. I think Dubé absolutely has been – excellent with with those two and is probably like the most improved player on the flames this season in my opinion above someone like Rizichka but again Dubé's been around longer and um it's been great to see him get that opportunity but I think Rizichka we've seen him you know take the top line opportunity and produce and play well up there and look like he belongs and we've seen him take you know a bottom six or a fourth line opportunity he moves around the lineup um quite a bit but I think this year we've seen him you know adjusting to those new positions well and and we're just seeing him probably looking more comfortable this season um and again just kind of putting that toolkit together at the NHL level um last one for you Haley and I don't want to bias the jury so I'm not going to give you a big long build-up for this question I'm just going to say the name and then whatever comes Mm -hmm. to your mind just please, please share it. No prejudice to the jury, no bias to the jury here. Jacob Markstrom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that Jacob Markstrom is the harshest critic of himself. Like, I think we see, I, there was a Q&A, there was a one-on-one Q&A with Julian McKenzie, who replaced me as the Flames beat writer at The Athletic Markstrom. And Julian asked Jacob, like, from the day you said I'm terrible at hockey to now, like, how would you say your confidence levels changed? And he said, it's the same as when I said that. And so I think if we just keep it in Markstrom's own words, it seems like this is a goalie who went from being, you know, the the Vesna finalist last year, you know, ever, we were like, oh my gosh, he's, we went last season, we went from being like, there's no way anyone's going to beat Mika Kiprasov's shutout record in franchise history to going, oh, God, he only needs, what, one more to tie? This is wild. He's playing so great. And I think the shift from last year to this year, um, you know, we're not seeing a Vesna caliber Jacob Markstrom right now, and he knows that. Um, and, you know, last, last night it was what? I think at one point he led in three goals on 11 shots. Um, so, yeah, this isn't Jacob Markstrom at his best. And nobody needs to tell him that. He knows it himself, and, and he's his own harshest critic. Yeah. I, I think we're seeing a goalie whose confidence seems pretty low. Um, but I think that I think he has the pedigree in the, the previous elite play for extended periods of time. It's a concern yeah. that he's playing this way, but I don't know if I would say, like, he's toast for the rest of the year. I don't know if I'm saying, like, I still – I'm not ready to say that this is going to be a lost season because of Jacob Markstrom. Like I have the confidence that he will figure it out at some point. I think with Markstrom, it's about getting that confidence up and just being calm in his net. When we think of Markstrom at his best, you know, he's so big and athletic. He's that elite combination of a big yep. goalie who can still move in his crease. So, you know, I think he can get back to that. I think when you see Markstrom playing at his best, he's very calm. There's not a lot of wild movement in his net. I think sometimes this season we've seen, you know, the wild athletic saves. You see the big windmill. (laughs) That's fun sometimes, but I don't think you want to see that from Jacob Markstrom because, again, when he's at his best, it's very quiet back there, and he's just solid and steady. And I think we haven't seen that consistently from Markstrom, but but I'm not prepared to say that, you know, that's not going to happen this season. I just can't help but wondering if that Oilers series just still haunts. Yeah. I, mean, I know goalies are tough and athletes are tough, but 
something <clears throat> I don't know. And we listen, Elliot and I, Elliot and I talked to him about it in, in Paris at the NHL Players Tour as well about that that kryptonite and getting over mm-hmm. that hump. We'll see. I I still think there's a great goaltender in there. There's, there's still a Vesna finalist in there. I just wonder how much damage Edmonton did to uh, Jacob Markstrom last year in the playoffs. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Haley, you're always a great sport. Uh, great information and great fashion tips for NHL reverse retros. <laughs> always appreciate that. Uh, you enjoy the rest of your day. We'll catch up soon. All right. Thanks, Jeff. There she is, the great Haley Salvian from The Athletic. And also, uh, you can hear her daily on Hockey Central 960 covering the Calgary Flames. All right, we'll jump into the uh, the Washington Capitals situation. Uh, the return of Nicholas Backstrom and Tom Wilson. Um, a couple of bone-crunching hits in that game against Columbus yesterday. Uh, a big-time scratch of Anthony Mantha. No shortage of things to talk about around the Washington Capitals. And I don't even know if we're going to get to Ovechkin, who's usually taking all the oxygen out of the room and dominating the headlines. But there's a lot more going on in Capsland. We'll get to that with Tarek Al-Bashir of The Athletic. He covers the Washington Capitals. We'll get on that page in a moment as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so it was a big welcome back yesterday around Washington Capitals as Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson returned. They beat the Columbus Blue Jackets by a final score of one nothing. And afterwards, Nicholas Backstrom admitted he was nervous for the first time in a long time about playing in the NHL. Welcome back to the program. Tarek Al-Bashir covers the Washington Capitals and has done so for a long, long time. Uh, covers them for the Athletic. He joins me now. Tarek, how are you today, my friend? Good to hear your voice. Yeah, I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Uh, thoughts on what we saw yesterday, specifically Backstrom. Like I'm always, I always cut a lot of slack to players that have surgery like that. Like I almost, I almost want to write off like a whole year and say, you know what? It's going to take a guy at least a year to come, especially at his age, you know, to come back, you know, after that type of surgery. How did you think Backstrom did in the first game back? You know, he looked like a guy who hadn't played all year. Um, You know, it's always tough to come back from a significant injury, especially, you know, hip resurfacing. Remember, that's basically hip replacement. Um, uh, No one has really come back and had a sustained amount of success after having a surgery of of that magnitude. You know, uh, Ed Jovanovsky had it a few years ago. You know, that was almost a decade, decade ago now. Um, He played 37 games for the Panthers and, you know, and then got bought out. Um, now, Nick hopes that advancements in medicine and in the resurfacing technology itself, uh, it, it's going to make it so that he will be able to play several more years. Um, I, I thought in his first game he looked a little rusty. It, it looked to me like, like, you know, that old hockey cliche, a guy trying to catch a speeding train. You know, everyone else was in game yeah, shape. They were sharp. They played 42 games. And, you know, it, he, he missed a few passes. And um, it, you could tell that, you know, towards the end of the game he was laboring a little bit, um, you know, wind-wise. There, there's not much you can do in practice to get ready for the intensity of a mid-season NHL game. That said, I also think he was moving better than the last time we saw him. Remember, I mean, last year before he had the surgery, you know, he, yeah. he has since told us it hurt to walk. It hurt to sit down in his car. It hurt to bend over to tie his skates. He's not having those issues now. And so, you know, from a mobility standpoint, I, I think what we saw last night was big picture kind of encouraging. Uh, it, it it really was, and my expectations. And again, I like I'm I'm biased about this one because I've seen so many players go through it. I mean, I could just think about how uh, who might be the best example: Tyler Sagan of the Dallas Stars, and how long it took him to even start to begin to look like Tyler Sagan again. Like, what was it, Tyler? Like, I, at least a year, maybe a year and a half. Yeah. So we started to yeah. see Sagan really play, and I look. I'm watching this game yesterday, and I'm like. 
I don't care how Nick Backstrom plays in the first game or the first 10 games or the first 20 games. I'm just shocked that he's back. And the the other thing that, you know, I'm watching this and, you know, Wilson's back as well. And I, I want to get to the, uh, um, the hit as well in, in, in the game and the subsequent fight. But I'm, I'm watching this thing and I'm saying to myself, first of all, real gutsy performance by Nicholas Backstrom. And it was really refreshing, a uh, bit of honesty when he said he was nervous about playing. You never hear players say that. It's always, you know, brave front, strong front. And he said, like, look, it's been so long and this surgery is what it is. And I don't know what's going to happen. I'm obviously paraphrasing here. And I was a little bit nervous uh, about playing. And then I thought to myself, I got to stop counting the caps out. You know, Tarek, I do it every year. I say, you know, no one beats time and eventually it's going to catch up to Washington and this is the year and, you know, they'll lose five games in a row. And I'll say, aha, here's the moment that, and then they come back and, you know, led by Ovi and LaViolette's done a great job there. At some point, I'm going to smarten up and stop betting against the Capitals. How do they keep, how do they keep doing this? You know, it, it's funny you say that because, you know, there are a lot of people in the analytics community that, you know, when, when they look at the Capitals every offseason, they, they look at age, they look at how other players um, at the same age where their game started to drop off. And I think what, ha- what is happening here in D.C. is a lot of the guys on this team, we're talking about John Carlson and Alex Ovechkin and, you know, even uh, Nicholas Backstrom, their aging curve is kind of defying logic and maybe what has happened uh, in years past, right? So when, when, when the analytics yeah. folks look at what a 37-year-old um, uh, left wing is able to do at his age with as many games on his uh, resume as Alex Ovechkin, it says, oh, he's going to, this guy is going to, father time is finally going to catch up. This is a 25-goal season for him. Well, he's already got 29, right? He's, he's on pace for 50 again. I think what's <laughs> happening is that the Capitals are aging. They're aging more gracefully than what the analytics show. Um, uh, so I think that's what's happening. Also, let's not overlook the job that Peter Laviolette is doing and the job that GM Brian McClellan yeah. is doing. I mean, you look at you look at the players that McClellan identified and his pro scouting staff identified in the offseason. They're all performing better than anyone really would have imagined. I mean, Eric Gustafson, they signed him to a one-year $800,000 contract. He didn't score a single goal in his first 29 games, Jeff. He has scored seven goals in the last 11 games. The Capitals are 8-1-2 in those games. That's not all him, but, I mean, that's an example of – of a guy that Caps identified and signed. Charlie Lindgren, the backup goalie, who at the start of the season had 29 games of NHL experience on his resume, comes in and basically saved the season when Darcy Kemper was out. I mean, no one yeah. thought that, I, I, that a, you know, a 29-year-old goalie was going to come in and be able to perform the way that he did. And, and you know, he was the best. He was the one of the top players in, in the league in December. You know, I can uh, I can recall specifically someone in how shall I phrase this in the goaltending community when the cap signed Charlie Lindgren said, "You watch, this will be the best low key undercover signing of the year." Because you know, Lindgren had like just a ridiculous season last year in the American Hockey League. We know he's had dances in the NHL before, but it really came together at what, how old would he have been last year? 27 or 28 that it really came together for Charlie Lindgren. And this person said to me, you watch, like we're going to look back at this and we're going to say, you know, that was one of the best low key signings of any team. And speaking of net minders, like, I don't know what it is about Washington, but I'm sure you've made this, um, you, you've, yeah, you, you've stumbled across <laughs> this point too. You look what Washington has done to the goalie community around the NHL. I mean, Samsonov in Toronto has been excellent. Vanacek with the New Jersey Devils has been really good. And Phoenix Copley, like I'll just be blunter, flat out, Phoenix Copley has saved LA's season. Like if you look at like if you're naming yeah, like who's yeah. your MVP of the LA Kings this year, Phoenix Copley. He hasn't played as many games, but who saved the season? The old Capitals that minder, Phoenix Copley. They've had a very strong goaltending department for a long time. I mean, remember that they this is a team that that you know had uh, uh, Sam. Uh, I'm sorry, um, um, Barlamov as well, Mitch Grubauer. 
Um, they, they, yeah. they they got yeah Mitch Corn they got they they found Holtby in the fourth round. Uh, Michael Neuvert was in the system for a little bit. They they've had some pretty good goaltenders. They've had some guys that have moved on and you know um, and and gone on to to play well for their teams. And and you know it, it's been a, a, a topic of discussion in DC that you know Sam Sonoff was you know not qualified and ended up in in Toronto and is playing well and Vanacek got traded at the draft and he's in New Jersey and he's playing well. That said, mm-hmm. I still think the Capitals made the right move. Um, what they needed was they needed the steadiness of veteran goaltenders to just kind of be the same player every single night and that. Darcy Kemper and Charlie Lindgren, but you know, with the exception of December, when Lindgren was pressed into duty because of the injury to, to Kemper, Kemper has been really, really yeah. good, and you, you can just you can just see from the goal on out what difference it makes when you have a goaltender that everyone on the ice and on the bench is not looking over at, going, is he gonna is he gonna make that save? Ooh, that was close. You know, they they know he's just gonna do the job. He's gonna make he's gonna make the big saves. He's gonna make the routine saves. He's going to look calm as a cucumber with his arms on the goalposts, just kind of waiting for the play to start again. You know, he's unflappable back yeah. there. They needed that to, to kind of help them get, um, you know, to, to stay on track and remain contenders. And, um, uh, uh, you know, as we're you know, still talking about, I know we're kind of changing gears here, but, you know, getting back to my previous point about, you know, finding guys in free agency and on the street who – Sonny Milano is another player. No one wanted this guy. And he comes in here. He was in and, Calgary's camp. You know, he, was, he was in Calgary's camp. In Calgary's they, they had him. Free player. Here yeah. you go. Let him go. The Capitals were the only team, it's my understanding, to offer him a one-way contract. He's come in and take the Bulls by the horn, and he's probably earned himself a multi-year extension at some point in the, in the near future. Um, you know, he's he's been one of, one of their more productive forwards. Um, you know, he's getting power play time. Uh, so, you know – Getting back to your original point of how are the Capitals staying relevant? How are they staying good? You know, it, it's it's a combination of Peter Laviolette knowing and the bench, but it's also the pro scouting staff and McClellan identifying players. You know, it, it, in free agency um, and in the trade market that have been able to come in and, and keep this team afloat. You know, it's. Um, I'm so glad you mentioned those two, Sonny Milano and, and Gustafson specifically, because when you look at value contracts, like points per dollar, um, they're both in the top ten. <laughs> they're up there. I, I did this on Hockey yeah, Night they're on Saturday. They're, 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 they're both in the top ten uh, in the NHL. So you're right. This is really some, some shrewd work. Um, by general manager Brian McClellan. Let me ask you about uh, about Hathaway. So the hit on Marcus Bjork, like that was a monster, monster hit. And then there's the fight with Gavin Bayruth, or he he came in to uh, to address things. How do you see Hathaway on this team? I'm always curious. Yeah, you know he's a he's a character guy who who plays the same way every night. Um, you know, kind of a quiet leader because of the way he uh, the way he plays. He just plays hard. He's a pest. It, my, one of my favorite things is, you know, when I do the Capitals for, for the TNT National Broadcast, I'm actually, instead of being in the press box, I'm down on ice level so I can, I can see things a little better. The amount, the, the anger that is directed at him by opposing teams <laughs> is almost funny. I mean, he gets under the skin yeah. of every single player on the other team, which, of course, is his job, right? I mean, he, he's, he's a, he's a fourth-line defensive specialist who's also very good at agitating his opponents and just, and he gives it back to them and uh, they just cannot stand playing against him. I mean, and, and so, so when, like you asked me, like my impressions of Hathaway, it's, it's that he just gets into the opponent's head. Um, you know, he's, he's one, one third of, I, in my opinion, one of the more underestimated fourth lines um, in hockey. I mean, it, this year, there's been a little bit of a revolving door on the on the left side of the Capitals' fourth line, but Nick Dowd and, and Garnet Hathaway do an outstanding job on most nights of shutting down opposing teams' mm-hmm. best forward line. I mean, um, you know, it's funny. I call them the fourth line, but you can't see me right now, but I'm doing air quotes because it's not really air quotes. It, it's really <laughs> like a, a third line because of the, the minutes they play and the assignments that they get. Um, 
And, uh, and you know, another thing about, about Garnet that I that I appreciate, he's one of the more interesting guys in the world. Like, like you look at his at his life story. I mean, you know, he's traveled the world. You know, he's he's you know from New England, went to prep school, didn't didn't you know do the the junior hockey route, ended up at Brown. I mean, there's yeah. a lot there's a lot of interesting layers to Garnet. He, you know, he does a lot in the community here. He supports um, uh, first responders, and and uh, you know, every time I'm looking at the the Capitals uh, social media, he's he's doing something at at a firehouse in Arlington, Virginia, where they practice. Um, Great, just awesome. a quality guy, and I enjoy talking to him. I love it. Um, okay, elephant in the room, Anthony Mantha and the scratch heard around the hockey world. I mean, listen, we saw Jacob ran on waivers uh, last week. We think of these two um, and you know how they were traded for each other two, two seasons ago. What's the long term here for Anthony Mantha with the Washington Capitals? Well, it, it, there's a little bit of a of a of a a split here um, here in DC and, and maybe even, and I don't know this firsthand, but maybe even within, within the capitals too, uh, you know, you see this six foot five, 240 pound man. And you think he should just be out there mashing opponents the way Tom Wilson does. That's just not, <laughs> that's not his game. And, but if you look at the underlying analytics, like when he's on the ice, the ice tilts towards the Capitals. Like he, he drives play, right? Like he, he, he does good stuff on the ice. He's, he's a, uh, a, a reliable player most nights on, on defense. But then there's the odd night, like the one before he got scratched, you know, where he doesn't give full effort on a back check and it's a puck in the back of the net. And, you know, you notice these things sometimes because your eyeballs are saying, this guy is built like Hercules. How, why is he not just imposing his will on the game? And so I, I think there's a little bit of, of, you know, we need to get more out of him. And then there's another fact who say he is what he is, figure it out, find a place for him on this team. And I think we're kind of at that, at that juncture right now where, I don't think mm-hmm. this is going to be a long-term scratching. I don't think he's going to be out for the next two weeks or something. You know, maybe another game. Right. I, you know, I, I just right before you called, I actually just spoke to Anthony, and it, you know, he said this was a wake-up call. He said, you know, I, I you know, I, I know that you know there's some details in my game and you know some work ethic that I, areas where I, I can be better. I, I uh, you know, this happened to him in Detroit a few times. He feels like you know this kind of has grabbed his attention. He said, I'm going to work my butt off. And when I get back in the lineup, you know, I'm going to do my best to stay in the lineup. So I think it was a message received by him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he said the right things. Um, Coach Laviolette does not criticize at all his players publicly. So you're just not going to get much out yep. of him when you ask him why he scratched True. the player. That's just that's his MO, and, and I respect that. Um, but – I, I think uh, I, I think it's now incumbent upon Laviolette, who has done an outstanding job with this team, steering them through some some really difficult waters, particularly early on with um, with all those injuries. He's now got to find a place for Mantha. He's got to find a way. He's got to find his buttons, press those buttons, and get the most out of a five point seven million dollar winger. Absolutely. Uh, always wish we had more time, Tarek. You're the best. Thanks as always for stopping by, pal. You be good. Anytime, Jeff. Derek Al-Bashir, Capitals, by the way, have a home and home coming up later on this week with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, and with that, we'll wrap up. Uh, thanks to Tarek for stopping by. Haley Salvian as well. Uh, Luke Gazdick from the NHL and Sportsnet. Don't forget, it's the Oilers and the Los Angeles Kings late tonight, 1030 Eastern, Sportsnet West. And kicked it off with Elliot Friedman, who has a nice, good, scratchy, gravelly Vito Corleone voice. And uh, for the random player of the day, a big thank you to Braden Slater for, uh, for sending in Braden Holtby. Uh, back tomorrow, more of the Merrick Show. Again, your random player of the days. Email them in, jmshow at sportsnet.ca. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.